and welcome to As It Comes, life from a musician's point of view. I'm Davina, I'm a cellist based in London, and I just want to say hi again. It's been a little while, <laughs> been a while since I've released an episode, three months I think, maybe more. Thanks for tuning in, it's great to know you're here. Things have been pretty busy recently as I now work full-time as online editor for The Strad magazine for which I've been producing the Strat podcast. And do check that out if you haven't already, although it's a slightly different vibe from this podcast. It's very stringy, a bit nerdy, but that's okay. It pains me to say that the conversation you're about to listen to was recorded so long ago now, back in July when I just started my new job. And since then, it's been non-stop because the start of this job has sort of coincided with the start of gigs and performances as well. So I'm sorry to say that Poor As It Comes has been at the bottom of the list for a while, as my weekends have been taken up with gigs and, you know, trying to have a life as well. <laughs> Plus, after looking at a screen from 9 to 5 every day, it's quite difficult for me to continue looking at a screen to create this podcast out of office hours. And I sound like such a bore. I can't believe this is what I talk about now. Hashtag music college didn't prepare me. Anyway, thank you for bearing with. The last thing I would want is to start resenting having to do this podcast, which would result in poor quality all around. So I'd rather take my time to do a good job than hurry and do a crap job. I'm sure you can understand. Some podcasts come out very regularly, but they're not very good. <laughs> my guest this episode is Beth Norman. Like many of my podcast guests over the last year or so, we've not actually met in person, but we got to know each other on social media, as she's also a podcaster, having produced a series called Just Playing It By Ear. Beth is a flute player and a pianist, and, well, this was the topic of our conversation. Identifying as a musician, what does that mean nowadays? The term musician is so broad nowadays, and it's no surprise that we can throw ourselves into a bit of an identity crisis if we try and uphold the standards and ideals of the times before COVID. Beth is a recent graduate from Trinity Laban, and we spoke about the challenges that graduates have under this current pandemic climate to make a living being a musician, whatever that means. We also spoke about versatility, teaching an instrument that's not your primary instrument, and interior design. Ooh, here's my chat with Beth. Beth Norman, thanks so much for joining me today on the podcast. We're chatting today in a rather rainy July day. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we're halfway through the year, this weird year that is 2021. How are you feeling about 2021 right now? Well, first of all, I cannot believe we are halfway through, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, the year that we thought was going to be freedom year, and yet we're still somehow restricted. But I'm feeling hopeful. I think there isn't there's an end to this uh, situation. You know, we were able to go out to pubs, able to see friends again, have people round, etc. So I'm feeling hopeful. I think it's it's a slow return back to um yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't want to say the n word nor normality because <laughs> it's just been so over you there's so many words that are just going to be blacklisted aren't there from this whole year and a half exactly. but yeah no yeah. feeling hopeful normality 
unprecedented. That's another word which has been used a lot. Everything is unprecedented. So I'll just introduce you to people who might not know who you are. So Beth, you're a flute player, you're a pianist, and you're a recent graduate from Trinity Laban. I know you because you're also a fellow podcaster having produced a series called Just Playing It By Ear Yeah, with Iona Duncan, a harp player. Um, So it's great to have another podcaster on um, as I feel like during the pandemic, there's been a nice community of these conversations going on between uh, different musicians. But, you know, you graduated so recently and a lot more recently than I did. I mean, I finished studying almost a decade ago. And, you know, it's no surprise that the climate of the music industry is very different from when I graduated. So, you know, tell me about your experiences of graduating during a pandemic. Um, it was very flat. <laughs> Um, there was there wasn't much um, kind of wow I've graduated it was literally kind of like submit my last assignment on uh, Moodle so as far as ending my degree it was very much an anticlimax but I feel that it couldn't have gone any other way considering the situation it felt quite weird because the last things I really had to do were my recitals at the time so I kind of just was preparing all of this repertoire for chamber exams and um, my flute solo recital and then suddenly didn't have to practice after years and years of having to practice so many hours a day to fulfill the needs of you know exams and things because it kind of stopped so suddenly I've got used to it now but it's, it's been very weird kind of not identifying as a flute player because I guess if I were to identify myself over the past year and a half has been as a teacher so it's been really weird kind of switching up the ratio of my weeks you know like like yourself not not performing whether it's paid work or whether it's to do with your degree or masters or whatever not identifying as a performer and having to put in that preparation has been really weird I would say that the the definition of musician nowadays is very different yes whereas like when I graduated 10 years ago and indeed probably you know the decade before that you graduate from a performance degree and then you go onwards to do auditions or get as much playing work as you can recording work and and things like this but now you know what kind of things are people doing when they do graduate? Yeah. So, I mean, like for you, when you when you did graduate and you didn't have to do your final recital, was it just a case of estimated grades? Or yeah. Something like so that? we were obviously we were the first year to graduate, and then there was another year, obviously twenty twenty one graduates who also had kind of different options for what they could do. So when I graduated in summer last year, um, it was all very sudden. They really just didn't. I don't think really knew what to suggest sort of thing Mm. so they offered two options basically you could take your average grades from the previous three years or you could submit a video but the problem with my instrument is that I need an accompaniment for the most part of my recital and there wasn't anyone nearby that could fulfill these awful I mean I play the piano and I know they're awful accompaniments (laughs) to try and learn and it was quite a short (laughs) deadline because they needed it done by you know the summer and we and it was late spring kind of that this all started to happen And then obviously we had the problem where you couldn't actually meet up with people in person. So it was just going to be a big problem. It was going to be too stressful, I think, for me. I moved back to my parents. I moved out of my flat. So that situation of trying to do that at home with a family who would probably have to leave the whole day for me to try and get this done by myself, maybe with like a backing track as my company, just didn't fill me with much joy. So I took the average grades, which I was quite happy with, which was okay. But as I say, it was just very like submit press the button and that was it which was really weird that's 
so weird because, I mean, great if you manage to get a fantastic grade out of that, but then, it, as you say, so anticlimactic and just that feeling of when you're practicing towards a final recital, you're timing your peak to be at a certain yes. time, yeah. right? And then to not do that, you're like, oh, well, okay, well, that's great. I mean, the preparation is invaluable, but, you know, you don't get to do the fun thing of actually performing, which is really something to look forward to. It's four years of lead up to this recital. And I mean, I think the weighting of my final recital was 60% of my whole performance, um, like kind of section, exactly. And so I, I have to be honest, and I'm sure a lot of people who have similar weightings of their degree, you get to that final year, you know, it's more than half. The rest of them kind of, it's not that they don't matter, but you kind of know, well, it's okay because these these are just little stepping stones, year one to three. Year four is the big one that really matters. And to not be able to actually do that, it's such a shame. But I mean, I know I'm not the only one, obviously. And yeah, yeah I think a lot of us do have other things to show for ourselves as well. So it's not the end of the world. That's true. I mean, I didn't have that sort of situation 10 years ago. I wasn't graduating throughout a pandemic, but one thing that was quite similar for me for one of my master's recitals, my accompanist got ill on the day of the recital. And we were playing Beethoven cello sonatas. Well, I should really say Beethoven sonatas for piano and cello. That's actually how the instruments are listed because those pieces, like your flute pieces, are absolutely mega, you know. And so it just would have been really cruel to have her play on the day so we ended up postponing my recital for three weeks and then just that feeling of peaking at a certain time and then bam yeah but at least I got to do my recital unlike yourself very true very true we were talking about before that you identify as a teacher now and coming out of graduation you know what sort of things are you doing to find and create work for yourself Well, um, as I mentioned, most of my work is teaching Um, and I've always been really lucky to do that, I have to say, because I started really early. I took a gap year before I started my degree and that's how I got into it and I've always continued it and and luckily really enjoy it. So during this time, I haven't kind of been in the position like lots of musicians where they go, oh, I should probably start teaching now, (laughs) which I know a lot of people have had to do. So in regards to finding work, that kind of started for me a while ago in the teaching kind of section, if you like. But as far as putting stuff online, teaching, that was a new world to me. I'd never taught online before. That was a case of me kind of listing myself as an online tutor, just that little niche of kind of going on the tutor sites, etc. Facebook, there's like mums groups and putting yourself out there when I had gaps for new students. But apart from that, really lucky to have a few positions in schools as well, which is really nice. But again, they were kind of through people that I knew. But as in regards to performing, I think I've realised, and I don't think I really appreciated this before I graduated and before I kind of realised what this new world would be like. I think you really do just have to put yourself out there. You know, you've got to share what you're up to. I wouldn't say got to. I don't think it's... There's this whole thing of that feeling of needing to be online and kind of sharing everything you're doing on Instagram or whatever um, and all the practice videos and stuff which I think are good and maybe sometimes not great for your for your self-esteem feeling that you have to post um, even when you're not happy with it but I think it really is a case of putting yourself out there and I think I'm still learning kind of how to do that in a way that works for me and trying to find the balance of what what to post and what not to post. Exactly. I think it's finding the right thing to post, isn't it? Because you want to be on people's radar, but for the right reasons. You don't want to be on someone's radar as like, oh, that flute player who putting up really 
polished performances and being like, oh, this is so good. You know, yes. those people who are yeah, just I like, <laughs> oh, I just got out of bed and I'm just going to like whack out this Anderson study. And it's like, no, you've 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 put a lot more yeah. work into that than, than you're exactly. saying. That kind of thing. You know, and you don't want to you don't want to be like that. But then at the same time, you don't want to be completely non-existent because I guess fixers tend to book people that they see and have a good reputation. Yeah. So I suppose it's finding a balance in that. Yeah, it's that networking. You know, in terms of putting things online, like what sort of content are you doing? At the moment, very minimal because my teaching schedule has been very busy, gone back into person, into basically everything, which has been amazing but exhausting as well I wouldn't say online or in person is any less exhausting than the other but I think it's just a different type of exhausting I have to be honest and you know practice and stuff like that has been sort of nearer the bottom of the priority list lately because I've had to fulfill the needs of my current commitments um, which happens and that's fine I'd quite like to start posting a few good quality things on line that I'm happy with because I think I did go through a phase especially in lockdown where I was kind of struggling with my identity of oh I've done a flute performance degree so I'm a flute player so I need to post just flute stuff when actually I do do a lot of piano stuff nobody probably knows I play the piano by looking at my Instagram (laughs) so the other day I posted a video of me playing the piano because I was like hi yeah I do also play the piano but I think I've just always (laughs) kind of on the surface been flute because that was what was on paper so I'm, I'm hoping I can post a bit more. Yeah, that kind of leads me to ask you about versatility. As we've spoken about, you know, you play the flute and the piano and you teach both. Is teaching the piano something that you sort of fell into or was it an intentional thing? Like, how did you go about that? My teaching journey started in just a bit of a snapshot. One of my old, old teachers said, oh, like, you know, you've done your grade eight now. I think I was like, 15 maybe or 16 you should start teaching at the time I was like whoa like I'm still a kid like (laughs) is that right yeah I'm not much older than my students she obviously was like well you know you could get paid like 20 15 pounds an hour 20 pounds an hour and at that time I was like whoa that's loads that's way more than my friends make in McDonald's or whatever she was like look put your name on musicteachers.co.uk so my name has been on musicteachers.co.uk for probably over 10 years now And I got a message just at the beginning of my gap year when I'd done my A-levels from someone that ran a private um, limited music service. It wasn't one of the government ones. It was um, quite small. And he said, I'm looking for a piano teacher. Do you, you you know, just for beginners, do you want to get involved? And I was like, yeah, sure. Very underpaid. I mean, this was like 2015 and he was charging like £15 an hour. Which, obviously, at the time, I had no idea that that was way too low. Just for reference for people who don't know, like, the going rate would be, like, upwards of 30. Yeah, well, the MU MU rate is 35 um, per hour, they they recommend. So, I mean, then I presume it would have been a little bit lower (laughs) because time has passed. Yeah, I had a great year of teaching in lots of different schools. And through that, I just found a real love of playing the piano like I hadn't before. I'd always just played the piano kind of to supplement, like, my musical CV you know, to help like uni applications and things. And I'd always kind of, to be honest, taken quite naturally to it, but never done anything with it because flute took up so much time. And yeah, and then I started having lessons properly because I'd always had them with my flute teacher and just found a real love for it. So I was quite a late bloomer with piano, to be honest, in comparison to flute, because I'd always learned it, but never properly really. We'd just kind of gone through the grades 20 minutes at the end yeah. of my flute lesson. But I think because I wasn't doing it through a system, I think I've realised kind of like flute was always like following the path of 
flute students you get you know you go and yeah. do this and that yeah, you do grades you do diploma you go to music college etc because I could kind of do it on my own way I think it kind of sparked a real love for it and so you know yeah I just kept going along my own path now I teach more piano students than I do flute because that's the demand and that is for so many people who teach two instruments yeah. and now I yeah. accompany I accompany students I accompany friends like it's 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 fun it's nice to be able to yeah. do both you must feel really grateful to have that skill actually because I did piano lessons when I was very very young but I gave it up very very early and like I do wish sometimes that I could just sit down and accompany my students or you know just like jam along on a piano when there's one I don't know in like a, a venue or something it's, it's a really really cool skill to have what sort of things would you say to people who are maybe feeling a little bit ashamed about not teaching their specialty instrument and you know teaching instruments that they supposedly in inverted commas don't necessarily play yeah I mean I've done that I've taught saxophone in this gap year but as mentioned <laughs> I taught it for two students very reluctantly but I think if you have the motivation to want to actually improve on that instrument, I think that makes a real difference. If you're kind of doing it because you're like, oh, that's an extra 20 quid a week. Yeah, sure, I'll play it and I'll just kind of wing it and see what happens. You've also got to deal with kind of like the shame or the guilt that <laughs> you feel every time you teach this poor student. But I think if you're actually willing to, you know, improve, if there's a piece that you think, oh, I don't know if I could sight read that one, then perhaps take some time and just go through it, try and find out what, what needs to be taught you know, maybe that wouldn't be so obvious mm. on perhaps your first instrument. I don't think there's so much wrong with it. I think the only thing that is wrong when you teach another instrument that you're not maybe especially as experienced on is if you're not willing to actually improve and find out what this student needs to do to improve. If you're just going to sit on your little level of where you're at on this instrument, then that's when I think there's a problem. Yeah, that's a really good point, isn't it? Is when you're teaching an instrument that you don't necessarily play, you have to be willing to learn that instrument as well. You know, because you've got the musical grounding of learning another instrument, then for sure you can probably progress quite quickly on yeah. that instrument, especially if it's an instrument that is related to your primary instrument. Like, for example, so I've taught a little bit of double bass, and I think I'm quite lucky in that I'm married to a double bass mm. player. But through that, I think through osmosis of being in a relationship with someone who plays the double bass, I've learned quite a lot, and I think I can actually get a student to a fairly decent level, yeah. I yeah. think. yeah. <laughs> But if I didn't have that, I think it would be a lot harder. Yeah, sure. and I mean, don't get me wrong, you would not get me trying to teach the cello because that's just not related to what I do at all. Um, <laughs> so I'm not promoting that people kind of teach things that they have no ground base on sort of thing. There needs to be some kind of experience. I mean, the way I see it basically is that I'm still learning the flute. Yeah, I've obviously got loads of experience. You're always learning, so it maybe one instrument might just be a little bit have a few more years on the other instrument that's okay I think yeah that's so true isn't it it's like you never finish learning your instrument otherwise we would have just like stopped at a certain time and then move on kind of thing but I think it's quite nice in a way when you're teaching an instrument that isn't your primary instrument what I found in my experience is that there's a little less baggage attached yes. to it for me I don't know if you're the same but Sometimes when I'm teaching cello, I get a little bit finickety about little yeah. details because I know it so well. But if I'm teaching the double bass, I'm like, that's a great sound. And I can focus on like slightly more bigger picture things like you played the right notes. You read the right thing. We didn't drop our bow yes. today. Fantastic. I, I, I find exactly <laughs> the same thing. And I teach flute and piano to students, like the same students. So lots of my students will learn the flute. And then I'll say, look, you should probably have 
a bit of piano lessons because for me I'm actually really grateful that my flute teacher did that for me and I find that I'm almost a different teacher when I teach both instruments in the within the same student within the same hour yeah you do get more picky but then is it just a different type of picky you know like maybe with double bass you might be thinking more of the kind of musical picture whereas maybe that might not be at the front of your brain with the cello but it's still there it's just kind of the priority list changes I think maybe exactly yeah and then maybe they'll go to someone who specializes in the double bass and then they can you know really focus on things like technique and stuff but then you know hopefully be grateful for the grounding and the other aspects that I have perhaps laid out for them yes I say all this, but I don't. I don't actually do. I've just started my full time job, so I won't be oh, teaching yes, much anymore. <laughs> but that's that's so good. Like just having that versatility, because I think it feeds into other disciplines as well. Definitely. You know, I think if you know how to play the flute, also play the piano, you can multitask. You have um, skills in abstract thought. There's just so many things. Yeah, I actually just changed my Instagram bio. It used to be f- like flautist Bethany Dorman flautist, and I've just changed it to musician. And I think. If you kind of see yourself more as a musician that's kind of sharing and teaching music rather than you are just kind of restricted to this one instrument, I think that makes a real difference. Yeah, that's true. Because I do notice this, when you are teaching different instruments, there has to be a perhaps more prominent aspect of really plugging the love of music. As I mentioned before, I tend to get quite picky when I'm teaching cello students and I think I need to remind myself of like, Yes, this is fun. You know, this isn't just a daily grind. (laughs) I promise. (laughs) But, you know, sometimes you might get asked to sub for a violin teacher and, you know, you don't know anything about playing the violin, but you can still teach fundamental basics like rhythm, dynamics, musicality, all of these things as well. And they might just love music, even if they're learning from someone whose primary channel of communication isn't the violin. That can still be helpful. Yeah, still useful. No, exactly. Totally. What? I've been thinking about a lot is just kind of that balance of being a teacher and a performer but how do you get around that in a global pandemic <laughs> oh god yeah I mean there isn't like <laughs> that much performance no going exactly. on really at the moment I mean things are coming back but, but like, only if you're kind of the top of their lists already when you've just graduated you're not there yet you know you're not going to get yeah. be the ones getting asked first which is tough yeah I, I guess that's really tricky isn't it if you're a recent graduate because you haven't done the whole like you know, playing to principals and like in auditions and stuff. And then also like people who are already on extra lists, they're not going to get asked because orchestras are going to ask their yes, members exactly. first, aren't they? And it's like, how do you become more entrepreneurial? It's realizing that not it's going to be on hold, but there's other things you can be getting on with while you are crawling to the top of the list, <laughs> if you like. Because there are there's so many things we can do now. There's, I've seen loads of musicians doing really well on the YouTube game. You know, if, if you've got the guts to do that, then that's great. And the time, because I know it's so time-consuming. And, you know, podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's definitely something that you can develop, as I can attest. It is interesting, actually, because I think performance graduates, we really do get in our heads about, like, got to make most of our living yes. from performing and, and teaching. But, like, as you mentioned, there are other things that we can do. And then as a result, we do actually become quite busy, even during a pandemic. I mean, like we're talking today on a Sunday and, you know, we were talking before about how like we've both sort of had to block this day off and not succumb to the pressure of like accepting work or 
or other students and things like that and just making sure that you set that time aside for yourself. I see this a lot on Instagram where people are trying to promote their kind of work from home, be your own boss. But we are actually our own boss, as cringy as it sounds, because no, then no one's going to tell you like you need to clock in, you need to clock out. You can't. You really do dictate your schedule. And I think even if you do have a commitment to an ensemble, you're probably most likely still going to be taking on extra stuff, extra teaching work, a bit of freelancing here and there. And it's only going to be you that has the power to like say yes or no. And yeah. I mean, I've mentioned to you that I've done the whole seven day working week, etc. And it just it doesn't work. You can't. You don't. You don't enjoy it when you're completely overworked. So it is really important to narrow down to say, to say no. no and narrow down what you really are enjoying and kind of recognizing what what part of your work you're enjoying and any other parts should mm-hmm. just be a big fat no <laughs> in my opinion yeah exactly it's very very empowering to be able to say no and what I'm realizing now is because so I'm speaking to you after like my first kind of full mm. week of, of working full-time in a new job which is crazy because I've never been employed before but you know there are still a few little gigs and stuff coming in and like I've always kind of felt really horrible every time I've had to say no, especially if it was something that I really wanted to do. But like another way of thinking about it is that because you've said no, you've actually allowed someone else to say yes. And that's a really nice thing. If you don't need the work, then there's probably someone out there who's really grateful for it. You hope. Yeah, exactly. And I think there's something to be said for doing a job kind of half-heartedly because you're just exhausted it's not, but not because you intend to do it half-heartedly. You just generally can't fulfill 100% of the needs. And then, you know, giving it to someone that has been sat quietly, you know, trying to push them, get themselves out there, waiting for the work to come in, and then they get it, and then they perhaps, you know, fulfill the job really yeah. well because they've got the energy. Because, as you say, you've been had a hectic yeah. week. Yeah. There's nothing worse than turning up to a gig or a rehearsal, being that person who's just a shell yes. of a person. Yeah sitting there and also that person's not pleasant to work with either it's like you're just not gonna do your job properly. yeah and then it's dominoes isn't it because it is just a networking game and you don't want to be remembered as the one that's like napping (laughs) breaks it's like oh don't book her again yeah yeah it's like oh she forgot her bow oh that's not a good sign (laughs) yeah yeah you start doing stupid mistakes yeah, no, saying no is, is a powerful thing. But it's tricky during a pandemic, especially when work is sparse. Yes. And then you've just got to make sure you're not saying yes because, oh, it's a, a, a gig. Or you're saying yes to something that is really shockingly underpaid because they're thinking, oh, well, you know, you haven't had work for 15 months, so better take what you can yeah, get. Yeah, here's your exposure. <laughs> <laughs> well, everyone can get exposure now after 15 months of working with various technologies. Exactly. So. Okay, so let's move on now to the wildcard question round, which you, I, I'm, I'm guessing you I know do. about already, I'm but excited. this is <laughs> this is your opportunity to choose what I ask you next based on three choices that I present you. So your choices are best gig, if I weren't a musician... And favourite pastimes? Oh, I think I'd do if I weren't a musician. Fab. So if you weren't a musician, and as we've mentioned before, you know, the term musician is a very broad thing. It is. (laughs) If you weren't a musician, what would you be? I think 
This is quite easy for me to answer, actually, because I've I, I listened to this part of your podcast, and a lot of people get quite stumped. But and I was wondering, oh, will I get stumped today? Would I would I be able to answer? So, when I was a kid, I always wanted to be a teacher, actually. But at this point, obviously, music wasn't really a massive part of my life, and I do have a real enjoyment for teaching and sharing. So I'd say that, but also um, I love art and creativity, and I love houses, and have always had a real interest for interior design. And I think more so because my dad is actually a builder. So our house is filled with house magazines. (laughs) And they've always been what I would sit down, you know, if I was eating my dinner and there was one, I'd just flick through because it was just there. And I think that's what I would be doing. Even when I was a kid, I loved redecorating my room. I would do it like once a year. And it got to the point where when I got old enough, my parents would just let me paint it myself because I would just do it so often. I just love, I love having control of that environment. It's it's really special to be able to create yeah. how the feeling of a room is, mm. is it's really cool I think that's really important isn't it to be comfortable in your environment and especially pertinent over the last 15 yes. months 15 16 months is to make sure that your home environment is a happy environment because you are not going yep. anywhere else <laughs> kind of thing yeah yeah that's really interesting because um my mum when I was younger she was for a time an interior oh, designer wow. So for a few years, we had quite a few of the interior design magazines Mm. strewn around the house. But I don't think I really read them as much as you did. And also, that was the height of the 90s. So like 90s interior design was like, was a very different thing. Like dark wood, (laughs) green curtains. Yeah, and like really, yeah, floral curtains with like the puffy, puffy drawstring, like kind of thing. Like you wouldn't, you wouldn't see that now. Nowadays, it's very, you know, contemporary style. It's very like... Yeah, I think it's kind of like minimalism kind of vibes as much Mm. as possible. But then I think it's kind of in between like a homely and minimalist vibe. Everyone likes their clean kind of free kitchen workspaces nowadays, don't they? Which I think has kind of strayed away from the typical kind of family kitchen where you'd have all all the appliances on the worktop, whereas now they have to go away in cupboards or they're kind of closed off. In a different room. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> it's just, just so that they look good in the photos. I mean, what really flummoxes me is that when you see ads for, I don't know, like, for example, one account that I follow is Patch Plants yes. because I love plants. And, you know, plants are very trendy, especially indoor plants these days. But then I'm just really struck by the photos. They're apparently from users and they've got all their plants everywhere but then they just don't have things, yeah. you know? They're, they've got a bookshelf with no books on it. They've got a bookshelf <laughs> with a few plants, like a cactus, and, like, there's a cat on the top shelf or something. I'm like, why don't you have things? Where are all your things? It is so true. I think nowadays everything has to have a home, you know? I don't think it's a messy thing. I think it's, like, this kind of clean vibe that people are going for like people have nowadays my dad actually was showing me a design for a house in a kitchen and they have this area where like the, the microwave the kettle the blender the toaster they're all shut away in the kitchen with these doors and that's where they live and they kind of slide out and they can be on view but most of the time it's kind of just like a closed off messy section of the kitchen they can just kind of put a door in front of which is a very cool idea but it just makes the kitchen look like it's not being used yeah and, and what's the shame of having your blender on I display who doesn't love a smoothie <laughs> that's so true you know what i wonder if this is going to create a generation of like really repressed people Possibly. you know in an indirect way it's like i have to like put away everything have clean surfaces put away all of my appliances but then you know inadvertently they're doing that with their emotions as well oh this this could go very deep i think you could write something on this you know <laughs> 
yeah, the reflection of interior design and people's emotional burdens. Yeah, I yeah, I, th- I think this could go yeah. somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Um, really lovely to hear about that. I think you're the first, you know, potential interior designer I've had on the podcast. Oh, I'll have to go back and, and listen, but I think you are, anyway, that I remember. But anyway, thank you so much for your answer to the wildcard question round. And Beth, thank you so much for your wonderful insights on your recent graduation and playing and teaching during the pandemic. So before we go, where can people find out more about you and your work? Seeing as we've been talking so much about having an online presence, (laughs) I assume you have one. (laughs) Um, I do. So I use my Instagram um, as frequently as I can, which is Bethany N Music. Um, And then my website um, is www.bethanynmusic.com. That's easy to remember. Brilliant. We'll put those in the show notes so that people can check out your work. But thank thank you you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. That was Beth Norman. Check out the show notes to see where you can find out more about her and her work. And that's it for today. Special thanks to Ros Nagy for my logo and Daniel Alms for my jingle. Huge thanks to Beth for sharing her stories with me. And as always, thank you for listening and thank you for your patience and support. If you like what you hear, you can support the podcast by buying me a coffee on my coffee page, the link to which is in the show notes. Get in touch at asitcomespodcast at gmail.com or on the website asitcomes.com where you'll also find all 53 previous episodes and transcripts of the podcast. This is a really long bit of copy. You can also get in touch with me via Instagram and Facebook, where I highly recommend you give me a follow and a like at As It Comes Pod. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you to those who've already done so, and thanks for continuing to spread the word. Chat to you soon and take good care. Bye. (laughs) 